Now here's what we're about to do. We're about to go out and, and, and do our, our, what we call our, our message for the morning. And I, we have a treat today. Uh, we've been in this series called Voices. This is week number three, where we have some of our younger and more passionate voices on our staff and given the opportunity to lead us here at Gateway by bringing scripture to life with us. Today, we have the honor of bringing up one of my favorite people in the entire world and one of our student pastors, Ricky Echiona. Will you welcome him to the stage? Good morning. Good morning, Gateway. How are you guys this morning? All right, let's make some noise. Let's make some noise this morning. That picture you saw, I promise I don't always look that intimidating, uh, only when I'm hungry, all right? But hey, we're gonna have a good time this morning. As, as Carlos said, my name is Ricky Echiona. I get to uh, lead our students down on our South Campus, and it is amazing. Make some noise for teenagers in this place. Yeah, come on. Some of them are right here up in the front. Well, hey, before I get started, I'd like to do something a little old school. I don't, I don't think it should be called old school. I just feel like it should be school. I grew up Pentecostal, so this is maybe a little more traditional, but I believe in giving honor where honor is due. And I believe when being invited in to uh, speak anywhere, it's almost like letting somebody cook in your own kitchen, right? And so I just want to give honor to uh, Carlos and his wife, Libby, your campus pastors, our executive pastors. Can you guys just give them a round of applause for all the hard work that they do? Man, and pray for your pastors, pray for your pastors. If you don't know this, by the way, uh, me and Carlos, he's actually my older brother, uh, same mom, different dads. I'm just kidding. Stop thinking all brown people are related, okay? It's okay, you can laugh. Can we laugh at that, honey? Yes, you can laugh, it's all right. Have some, we're gonna have some fun this morning. Uh, if you don't know this about me, as you can tell, I'm Latino. Any Latinos in the house? Don't tell me gente, there we go. I'm also from the D.C. area, so a little more urban. So you're going to hear some words that maybe aren't in, your, in the King's English, all right, in your proper vernacular verbiage, all right, and you're like, that doesn't make sense. Calm down, Webster's. We're going to go somewhere. We're, get, we're going somewhere, right? We're going to have some fun, uh, if that's okay with you today. Hey, how many of you guys uh, like stories, right? Who doesn't? That's a, that's a dumb question, right? Who doesn't like a good story? Who, how many of you would consider yourself a great storyteller? Not many, okay, a couple people. Not many people raise their hands for that. Uh, well, depending on who, who's in your life, you have some people in your life that are great storytellers, average storytellers, mediocre storytellers, terrible storytellers. Like once they get going, you're like, stop. I don't wanna hear it, right? Um, uh, one of the people that I get to be on staff with and our youth staff is, is Peter. And he's our youth apprentice down south. He works with Isaiah and I. And he tells some great stories. Uh, part of the reason is he went to Pepperdine University in Malibu. He was out there suffering for Jesus, you know, on the beaches of Malibu. And uh, he has all these stories of running into famous people, um, like playing basketball with Adam Sandler, like randomly running into Lady Gaga before she was Lady Gaga, right? And I told him, and like, there's great stories. I'm like, Peter, I'm gonna name a biography after you. I'm gonna write one. It's gonna be called Name Drops Falling on My Head. Because, and some, some of y'all know people like that. Every time they get them, like, yeah, I ran into that person. All right, right? Some, and, but some of us have people in our lives that are terrible storytellers, right? Uh, like, as soon as they get going, you're like, man, I know you're about to waste 13 minutes of my life right now. Like, but the vocal intonation will, will get it going as if, like, it's going somewhere. You know what I'm talking about? Like, they're going higher and higher, and the, and the story looks like it's going somewhere. You know what I'm talking about? For example, you're sitting down with a friend, and he's telling you about this interaction maybe that he had with a female, he says, man, I was sitting down at lunch and, uh, and I saw this girl, right? And you're like, yeah, what, so what happened? Uh, well, she winked at me. Word, she winked at you, son. 
And you're like, yeah, she winked at me. And then what? So I winked back, what you mean? And then, and then what happened? And then she gave me the double wink, the double wink. And you're into it at this point, right? Like you're into the story. And so I double wink back. And then so we're in this back and forth. And then what? And what happens? So I get up, right? And then like, they get you all into the story. I get up and I walk over there. Turns out she wasn't winking at me. She just dropped her contact out of her eyes. So, and the story falls flat just like that. You're like, why did you just waste my time telling me this? You know what I'm like? We all have people in our lives that tell stories like that. And if you don't know that person, maybe you are that person. It's okay. No judgment, no perfect people allowed this morning. All right? And I say that in jest. But for some of us, especially in this last year and a half, maybe our stories feel like they've been going nowhere. Like our personal stories are stuck on repeat. And it's been Groundhog Day for the last X amount of years, X amount of months. Maybe your story feels subpar this morning. Some of you this morning, I believe God wants you to know you're not living plan B. He knows it's hard. And in fact, he's saying today, if you would let me, I'll take the pen back and I can write a better story. If you have your Bible this morning, would you turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter one? If your Bible glows, you can put it on airplane mode. We're about to take off, okay? It's a dad joke. I'm a dad. It's okay. 2 Timothy chapter one, verse five to eight, you'll see it on the screen in front of you. This is Paul writing to his young protege, Timothy, who's the leader of an early church there. And he says this, I am reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you. Circle, underline, highlight that. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me as his prisoner. Paul to give you context, Paul, the greatest church planner that the world has ever known, was once a man who persecuted Christians. He would once take Christians, the followers of the way, as the New Testament calls it, and he would jail them, persecute them. He was even there when some of them were martyred. But then something happens in his story where he meets the risen Jesus and everything changes. It's one encounter with Jesus and the trajectory of his life goes in the opposite direction. He wasn't taught to believe something. It, it was actually something contrary to what he was believing in at the moment, but one encounter with Jesus changed his story. And he begins planting churches and speaking to Jews and Gentiles alike. And the gospel spreads in every direction. It's why we're here right now in Austin, thousands of years later. And he's writing to his spiritual son, Timothy, a young man who he's raised up to lead a church we're just like Gateway and every other church around the world has some, has some issues. And just like Austin and just like every other city and every other town around the world, there was some conflict. There were some things he needed to work out. And he's writing to young Timothy, encouraging him. And scholars and theologians are almost all in agreement that this is the last letter that the Apostle Paul will write before being executed under Roman judgment. Think about that. Like if, if I get one phone call, one text message, one letter, and they say, hey, you, this is your last one. You got a few days to live. This is, this is the last thing you wanna write. You're gonna write, what do you wanna say? 
I'm probably not writing that, <laughs> right? Like if I get one letter and they give me a pen, like I'm keeping it simple, three words, don't kill me. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like I didn't do it. Please don't kill me. I'm doing everything I can to get the word out. Like, I didn't do this. I am innocent. I ain't do nothing. Please get me out of this prison. Right? Like, I'm doing the TikTok dances. I'm trying to go viral. I'm picking up the phone. I'm calling Oprah. Like, she don't know me, but I'm trying to do my best to call Oprah. I'm like, listen, Oprah, it's your boy, Ricky. Um, I know you met with the royal family and Prince and, uh, and Meghan Markle and all that. I'm royalty too, by the way. If you didn't know, I'm the son of the king. And listen, they got me locked up. I need to be let out. I'm doing anything I can to get out. And the Apostle Paul doesn't do that. He takes time to write to his young protege, to encourage him, to build him up, to further on the story. So when we are reading 2 Timothy, we are peering into the psychology of a man who knows he is about to die. And if you've ever been around someone who is terminally ill or who knows death is on the horizon, their priorities change. Their mentality shifts. All of a sudden, the things that used to matter don't really matter that much anymore. See, if, I, if you walked out of this place and I told you you had 48 hours to live, how would you spend that time? Chances are the angle of that picture is not gonna be that important. Chances are the equity that you've built up in your home is gonna be the least of your concerns. Chances are the dividends that that investment is paying off are not gonna be the things you spend your time with. The Apostle Paul spends his days investing in the next generation. He tells young Timothy, stir up what's inside of you. Fan into flame the gift that God has put inside of you. And that's where we find ourselves this morning. He says, fan into flame the gift of God. A few things I wanna take out of that passage. Number one, it lives in you. Say it with me. It lives in you. Say it like you mean it. Say, it lives in you. See, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, this gift that first lived in your grandmother and then in your mother, I'm persuaded it now lives in you. In essence, he's saying this, and this is the topic of this whole message today. Your life is telling a story. Make sure that it's worth reading. And he tells young Timothy, it lives in you. You don't have to find it from somewhere else. God has already put it inside of you. Make sure that your life, that your story is significant. And what makes your story, what makes our story significant, it is not the amount of money that you have amassed. It is not the education that you've received. This is a room full of a lot of smart people. I'm sure you got more degrees than a thermometer. But it is not your degrees, it is not your title. It's not fame, it's not fortune. What makes your story significant is this. You can write it down, tattoo it on the back of your hand. You can tweet it, it's less than 280 characters. It's this, what did you do with the gifts that God put inside of you? What did you do with the gifts that God put inside of you? Did you spend your time comparing your gifts to others and let jealousy rob you of your purpose? 
Or did you waste time living out someone else's dream for your life that you never tapped into what God had for you? Were you so afraid to fail that you gave up dreaming and stopped fanning the flame? What did you do with the gifts that God put inside of you? And and I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, but Ricky, nah, I'm not that talented. I'm not that gifted. There's nothing special that pops out. And can I tell you, that's probably the biggest lie that the enemy could ever make you believe, that you're not gifted. Over and over, scripture tells us of how God has made you and I gifted. This is what the scriptures say. In 1 Peter 4.10, it says this, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Ephesians 2.10 says this, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he had planned for us long ago. It says you're gifted, you are God's masterpiece. You heard John Lee say that last week. You're God's handiwork. And God doesn't make junk, he doesn't make basic. He only deals in the finest crafts. So the question is not, are you gifted? Am I gifted? The question is, do you recognize the gifts that he has put inside of you? Do you recognize the talents, the abilities, the purposes, the dreams that are within you that are dying to come out? The dreams that he's placed in the soil of your heart that is begging to be watered and nurtured, that flame that he's put inside of you that is begging to burst out to be fanned, the dreams, the purposes that he's put inside of you. I heard once this, that if your dreams don't scare you, they're too small. That'll preach by itself. Your dreams should be so big that they are destined to fail without God's intervention. That your dreams should be so big that they are destined to fail without God's intervention. Why? Because he's the one that put a God-sized gift, a God-sized dream, a God-sized purpose in you in the first place, and it's him that wants to see it come into fruition to change the world around you. There's something in you that's dying to come out. And it's not simply working nine to five and doing it over and over for the rest of your life. That's awesome, it's how we make a living, but it's not how you make a life. There's a purpose inside of you. In this place, I believe this, there are purposes, there are sermons, there are nonprofits, there are businesses, there's classrooms, there are changes in laws right here in our midst today that are dying to come out. There are books that need to be written. There's a generation that needs to be brought up. God has gifted you and desires for you to live out that purpose so that the world around you may know him and so that he would get the glory. In you, there's a spark, there's a flame. So fan the flame. Turn to the person next to you, say, fan the flame. Turn to the other person that you ignored, say, fan the flame. This is what the Apostle Paul tells Timothy, he says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Fan into flame the gift of God. Can I tell you this? The reason some of you may think you're not gifted is maybe because you haven't taken the time to ask God, God, what have you put inside of me? And take an inventory of your life. What, What are the things that I'm good at? What are my talents, my abilities? What are the things that I'm passionate about? And what what is the immediate need in my world? And where do those things intersect? And God, maybe you meet me somewhere there in the middle. Take an inventory of your life and see what God has deposited inside you. You're not just living, breathing, and dying. God has put you here for a purpose, on purpose. Take an inventory of your abilities. And and I believe that some of us don't tap into the gift because of the circles that we keep. 
For some of us, what's stopping us from fanning in the flames is that keep, people keep blowing out the flame in our lives because we, of, of the friendships, of the relationships that we keep. They keep squelching what God wants to bring into life. I, I've got, I've got a, a few kids. This is my family. Uh, say all like you care about my kids. <laughs> there you go. Uh, this is uh, my, my wife, Emma. She's actually here today. Um, this is uh, on the right there. That's Layla. Uh, she is eight. In the middle, that's Zion. He's going to be four in September. And on the left, that's Thiago. He's our blonde hair, blue eyed. I don't know where he came from. He's more Brad Pitt lineage. Uh, he's going to be two in August. This is our little uh, family. I-, I-, I like to say this. I'm a little like mocha, right? And my wife, uh, she is white American. She's like a white chocolate. And together, we make some beautiful caramel babies, right? Give it up for these caramel babies. Yes. This was my 30th birthday, and I got to state that. I'm 30. I know. I look 22. Thank you, melanin. Carlos is actually 63, in case you didn't know that. It's just good genes. It's good genes. And uh, here's what happens at every birthday birthday party in our house. Our kids are always trying to fight over who gets to blow out the candles. Everybody with kids, you know what I'm talking about? And, like, kids are so trash at blowing out candles. Like, let's call it what it is. It is ugly, it's a mess, and like, why are you doing this? And they fight to blow over these candles. (sighs) What is wrong with you? Why are you doing that? Are you Spider-Man, like, with a whistle? (sighs) Why are you blowing out these candles? (sighs) And they fight, like, they'll get angry if if one of the other ones blows out their candles. They'll fight to blow out these candles. So every time we go out in public to somebody's birthday party, or if it was my birthday, I'm like, you're not blowing out my candles, little boy. All right, and so I gotta give them the ditty death stare. You know what I'm talking about, the meme, just like, I'm watching, I am, you better not blow that person's candle out. You know what I'm talking about? Listen, I work with teenagers and like, they, they still do this, right? They still do that. I'm like, you can tell you weren't spanked growing up. It's okay, calm down, it's a joke, don't get mad. Email Carlos if you are mad. <laughs> but I, I say that in jest, but what is it about life and wants to blow out the candles in other people? What is it about our world? What is it about us sometimes that when we see a spark in somebody, instead of fanning it in the flame, we wanna blow it out? Somebody will tell us a dream, tell us a vision that they have, and we immediately wanna break it down and why it's not practical and why it won't work. Would you fan the flame? Some of you are surrounded by people like that and you wonder why you're not gifted. It's because you've been letting people blow out your, your candle, blow out your flame, instead of fanning the flame. Listen, can we do this? Instead of blowing out flames around us, instead of howing ideas to death, can we wow them to life? Instead of blowing out the flames in people's life, can we light them? Can we tell people around that we work with, the people in our Zoom meetings, in our cubicles, can we tell them how they inspire us? Can we encourage them? Can we give them daily affirmation? Can we be be someone that brings out the best in others and not just points out the worst? If Carlos, if this is okay, if I could get on my soapbox for a little bit. Can I tell you what I'm tired of? I am tired of alarmist Christianity. That anything, something rises up in culture, we immediately go, no! We wanna criticize. If you you feel that need to criticize something, maybe it's because you're not tapping into the gifts that God has put inside of you. You know the best way to criticize something? Create something better. Oh, we're singing this song again? Write a better one. I can't believe they're teaching our kids this. Write a better curriculum. Create something. Bring something into life that God has put inside of you. 
Fan the flame. How do I fan the flame? Man, get into God's word. Get in the scripture and begin to see who he has created you to be. Get to see the character of God and who he is. Begin to following him. Begin serving in a local community like this one where people can encourage you and tell you what they see in you. Begin to challenge yourself and push yourself and do things that are outside of your comfort zone. Fan the flame. Fan the flame. Because you never know what one small act of fanning the flame in your life, stirring up what God has given you, what it can do for the world around you. On September 3rd, 1939, German troops invaded Bielsko, Poland. And a 15-year-old girl named Gerda Weissman and her family survived in a Jewish ghetto until 1942. And that's when Gerda was torn from her mother, Helene. And her mother was sent and met her end at a death camp in Nazi Germany. And Gerda would spend the next three years in a Nazi concentration camp herself, followed by a 350-mile death march that she miraculously survived. By the time she was liberated by American troops, Gerda was in her early 20s and she was a 68-pound skeleton. And in what has to be a love story so improbable, it sounds like Nicholas Sparks wrote it, the American soldier who rescued her ended up marrying her. His name was Lieutenant Kurt Klein and she became Gerda Weissman Klein. But the story doesn't end there. If you've ever visited Boston, Massachusetts, there's a Holocaust Memorial. And there, there are six glass towers at the Holocaust Memorial in Boston, Massachusetts, and they represent the six extermination camps where six million Jews lost their lives. And five towers tell of the story of unconscionable cruelty and unimaginable suffering, but the sixth tower stands as a testimony to hope. And inscribed on it is a short story titled, One Raspberry by Gerda Weissman Klein, and it goes like this. Ilsa, a childhood friend of mine, once found a raspberry in the camp and carried it in her pocket all day to, the, to present to me that night on a leaf. Imagine a world in which your entire possession is one raspberry and you gave it to your friend. See, the gift that God has put inside of you is dying to come out, but it's not for you to hold on to. It's for us to give away to change the world around us. See, the true measure of a gift is what you gave up to give it. One raspberry isn't much until it's all you have. See, every act of kindness like this one that you and I do is fanning the flame. It's creating a ripple effect. It's not just one act, but it's thousands. It sparks another and another. And sooner or later, it's a wildfire of change in our family. It's a wildfire of change in our friendship. It's a wildfire of change in our city. It's a wildfire of change in our country. It's a wildfire of change in our world. And it takes one person fanning the flame, one act of kindness. Watch what God will do when you begin to add wood to the fire that is your life, when you begin poking at it and stirring it, when you live unabashed and unashamed of the purpose that's inside of you because you know that who and what is inside of you is greater than any force that is, uh, that is against you. Your life is telling a story. Make sure that it's worth reading. Paul reminds Timothy, fan the flame. There's a gift inside of you. There's a story that's begging to be lived out and it's a beautiful one. Don't let people distract you. Don't let things come against you. He says this, the power inside of you is greater than any force against you. He puts it this way in verse seven, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Paul has to remind Timothy, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. 
I know people are coming against you, don't be afraid. I know people have things to say about you, don't be afraid. I know it's not practical, don't be afraid. Over and over in the scriptures, God reminds his people, hey, do not fear, trust me, I will not leave you, I will not forsake you. Do not be afraid, I am the Lord your God, I will never leave you, don't be afraid. Why, because he understands, because God understands, because Paul in this moment understands that fear is a thing that will rob us. It's a fear of what people will think, it's a fear of failing, it's a fear of falling, it's a fear of what the future will hold if I actually go all in and I trust this man named Jesus and I give over my life to him. If we allow it, fear is the force that holds us underwater and it will drown the things that God has put inside of us. Uh, I got to speak the same message at our youth camp uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, what was really cool, uh, right before I actually spoke this message, I had to include it in my message. I was walking by the lake and, um, and there was this little girl, her name was Autumn, and she was on a zip line getting ready to jump into the lake. And it was tall, it was like 20 feet high. How many of y'all are afraid of heights? Okay, some of y'all are lying because I know there's way more than that. Anyways, <laughs> she's, this little girl, she's on this zip line. She's got, you know, she's got the, the vest uh, to float and like it's safe. It's, she's gonna be okay, but she is so afraid. I'm watching from a distance and all her friends are in the water and they're like, come on, Autumn, you can do it, you can do it. And she's shaking. You know what I'm talking about? Like shaking, like her legs are gumby. She's like, oh my God. You know, what I'm, like every bone in her body is shaking. And I'm watching her friends encourage her. You can do this, Autumn. It's not that bad. Take the jump. It's awesome. We're so proud of you. She's lucky I wasn't in the water when I was a teenager because I would have been the kid like, do it, jump, stop being chicken. That was me. I'm just being honest. And this little girl is up there for what has to be like 15 minutes. Like she was up there long. I'm like, shoddy, if you don't jump, I'm gonna push you. <laughs> and finally, she's up there and she just closed her eyes and she just lets go. And she goes and zip lines into the water and everybody starts cheering. And I was so proud of her and everybody was so proud of her. And isn't life that way? If we're not careful, fear can keep us from actually doing the very things that God created us to do. Instead, we give up and say, you know what, maybe, maybe I shouldn't. I love this quote by Mark Batterson. He says this, quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. Some of us are so busy fitting in that we are called to stand out, not to play it safe, but to live life dangerously, a life that takes risk, unafraid of what people will say or do. I just came back from the Dominican Republic where we got to lead a go team of students and leaders and adults, uh, and we got to put on this kids camp, this VBS and sports camp for kids, and we got to go door to door loving people in that neighborhood, uh, asking them if there's any immediate needs that we can help meet. We got to even have some gospel conversations, and I was so proud of these students who started this week Super timid, I don't care who you are. Going door to door, doing anything is frightening, right? And they're speaking in a whole nother language and using a translator and using me. And, and these, by the end of the week, these kids were so bold and they were sharing the love of Jesus with people. One of them was this older man named Lilo. He was in his early 60s, had never heard a gospel presentation. We got to put a New Testament Bible in his hands and pray for him. And the next day he invited us to his house and we saw that same Bible and it was open and he was reading but because they did not allow fear to give in. I, I did this thing with our, when I spoke this same message at, with our students our camp, at camp, and I asked, uh, I asked the adults in the room who were there volunteering with our students, uh, how many of you all graduated 10 years ago? And some raised their hands. How many of you all graduated five years ago? Some raised their hands. How many of you all graduated two years ago? And some raised their hands. And every time uh, I, I do this, 
uh, asked them, for those of you who graduated X amount of years ago, uh, how many friends do you st still keep in touch with from your high school? Two, three. If I were to ask this room how many friends you still keep in touch with from your high school, chances are it's less than five. And, and, I, and I say that and I bring it down to our students and I say some of you are making decisions based on people that you won't even know a couple years from now. But can I tell you the same thing is true for us as adults. Some of us are making decisions based on the opinions of people that we work with or based on family pressures that we experience. And we're basing our lives based on the opinions and the practicality of, of people that did not create us. There's a purpose inside of you that is dying to be lived out. What if instead we lived unabashed, unashamed? You said, I'm gonna leave my mark on this world. God, you know that I'm scared. You know that I'm hanging on for dear life, but I'm gonna let go and I'm gonna trust you. Why? Because the lives, because the eternities of the people around me are at stake and I can't just sit idly by and do nothing. So the question is to you and I, who are you bringing along? Who are we bringing along? Paul tells Timothy in verse eight, so do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Paul intentionally invested in many like Timothy. Who are you investing? Who are you pouring your life into? See, when we get to the end of our lives, when we get to our last breath, the thing that will bring us the most joy or the most regret will not be the investment portfolio. It will not be the promotion. It will not be our streaks or our following on social media. It'll be the relationships that you build by allowing the God to move through you. The currency of our lives is relationships. Last story, there was a young man in Florida a few years ago, he was about 15, and he heard a message just like that, about a God who's put a gift inside of you, that he has you in that school for a reason, in that workplace for a reason, that you're not an accident, that he has gifts inside of you that the world is dying for. There's a hope inside of us. This young man goes to school the next day, the next week, after hearing this message, emboldened by the Holy Spirit, nervous, and just said, God, what do you want me to do here? I wanna just waste my time in this high school. And he feels God nudge him to pray for one of the football players who just injured his knee. And he goes up, you know, a little, a little scared, a little, a little shy. He goes up to this football player and deepens his voice a little bit. <clears throat> hey, bro. Uh, this may sound a little weird, but, uh, you know, a little extra bass in his voice. This may sound a little weird, but uh, can, I, can I pray for you? And the football player is kind of bewildered a little bit. He's like, yeah, sure, I guess. And he begins to pray for this young man. And miraculously in that moment, his knee is healed. And the story doesn't stop there. Other people begun, come to receive prayer and healing and it empowers and actually inspires some of the other kids who are Christians in that school and they began praying for other people. Sooner or later, people become uh, come putting their faith in Jesus in that high school, hundreds of students. And before you know it, an awakening, a revival breaks out in that part of the city in Florida and thousands of people come to know Jesus because one, one boy decided to trust God and say, you know what, I'll go all in. I'm tired of just existing. I wanna make a difference, I wanna make a change. How will people tell your story? Because your life is telling a story. Is it worth reading? Any Hamilton fans in the room? Some of y'all afraid to admit it, it's okay. 
I love the final song as the legacy of Alexander Hamilton is on display and you hear the words of George Washington. He says, let me tell you what I'd wish I'd known. When I was young and dreamed of glory. Okay, I'm not gonna do the rest. You have no control who lives, who dies, who tells your story. Alexander Burr then says, and when you're gone, who remembers your name? Who keeps your flame? Who tells your story? For those of you in this room who say, Ricky, I've heard a message like this. I've been following Jesus for a long time. That's awesome. That's great. So glad you made that decision. For those of you who are still on this journey and you're just checking things out, can I tell you, it's the best decision that you can ever make with your life is to go all in and say, God, you can have all of me. Tired of doing it on my own. When you make that decision, for those of you in this room who have made that decision, you've put your trust and faith in Jesus. Can I tell you something? Your eternity is secure. Your place in, with, in a relationship with Jesus is secure. Your place in eternity is fine, it's good, but your place in history is still up for grabs. How will people remember you? Paul, in this same letter to Timothy, says it this way in his final words to his protege, knowing that his time is near. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I, I lived out my story. Now there's in store for me the crown of righteousness, which is the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. Your life is telling a story. And I pray that when you come to the end, that it is worth reading, that you saw the gifts that God has put inside of you, that you fan the flame in yourself, that you fan the flame in other people, that you help see a wildfire of change around you, that you didn't let fear rob you of what God put inside of you, and that you bring others along on this journey the need to know of a God of love and of hope and of destiny. I pray that when you come to the end of your life, that when people see you, they see the impact that you've had on the world, that they can see Jesus. Would you stand with me this morning? Getting ready to sing this song called Champion. And the reason that we can live so boldly, the reason that we can step into our God-given purpose is because we have a God that went before us that says, I will tackle every wall. I will tackle everything that comes against you. You don't have to fear because I'm with you. I go before you. A God that says, I know you're afraid, but baby girl, baby boy, let go and trust me. I'm your champion. I'm here for you. What decisions do you need to make this week to step into your purpose? Would you worship with us?
be seated just for a couple more minutes. Man, you know, messages like this and almost every weekend hit people different ways, but if you're watching online and you want somebody to pray with you, all you have to do is request prayer. Hit the button right there. There are people wanting to pray with you over the next few minutes. And, and if you're in the room, you want somebody to pray with you, there'll, there'll be staff with lanyards out in the courtyard and volunteers. Just ask, just stop somebody. We'd love to pray with you because you do have a story to tell and a story to share. So I'm gonna ask Ricky and his wife, Emma, to come up and join me on stage as we do this Voices series. It's in our heart as a church to not just have some of our younger staff who are leading the way. And man, we're, we just love allowing them to lead here at Gateway, but we want to make sure that we pray over them, that we want, that they know we believe in them. Man, we believe in you. We believe in your family. And I know most people don't know the sacrifice it takes to be in ministry, the sacrifice both of you make, but I wanna honor both of you. As you go all in for the next generation, as you go all in to South Austin, as you go all in with your family, as a church, we're gonna pray for them. If you're online, just pray with us. If you're in the room, just as a, as a kind of a symbol, we just reach out your hand real quick. Let's pray over Ricky and his family. And you know, there's so many challenges that happen in ministry. And I remember being 30 years old and thinking, can I make it to 40? Now I'm hoping to make it to 50, right? Because there's so many things that are coming your way. But we believe in you. God, we thank you for Ricky. We thank you for Emma. We thank you for... Um, what you have called them to do, and that is to raise up a generation of young people who love you, to reach a people who maybe don't even know that you exist, and yet to love them where they are, wherever they are, to love every student life by life, every person at that campus life by life, but more importantly, to love each other in their marriage, to love their children that you have gifted them with. And God, we thank you for their lives. We thank you for this family. We speak blessing over them and favor over them as they reach a part of our city. It's in Jesus' name we say all this. Amen.